Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Well, I'm thankful that the Lord has brought us all here this morning and into our beautiful home in McKinney, Texas. And I want to thank everybody for joining us, coming from online, you know, whether you're coming from gospelsavingchurch.com or whether you're coming from SoundCloud or a podcast or wherever you're joining us from today. I want to welcome you as well, too. <clears throat> I praise God that you're with us today. I, I consider you part of the family here in my little home in McKinney, Texas. I welcome I praise God that he's given me another opportunity to serve him today and, and, and preach another message for him. And he's teaching me a whole bunch, and I hope you're learning as well, too, if you've been tuning in week after week after week. Anyway, if we want to, let's uh, go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we start our message today, and then I'll move on and get into the thoughts from last week. So if you want to join me, please. Lord, thank you for this wonderful message, Lord, and thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for that you brought us all here this morning, and thank you that you want to teach us, Lord. That's your heart. You want to teach us. You, you long to teach us, Lord, to show us the way, the path to salvation, Lord, the path to truth, Lord. And thank you that that is your heart, Lord. Thank you that you want, us, you want everybody to be on the path, but not everybody wants to be on the path. Lord, we just love you, and we praise you. We ask that you bless this message, and Bless our ears, Lord God, that we'd be able to hear your truths today, Lord. And not just hear them, Lord God, but that we'd hear them and that we'd respond to them and that we'd, we'd do what you say, Lord God. And not just be hearers of the word only, but that we'd be doers of the word as well as hearers. Lord, thank you for all that you do for us, Lord, and your grace and your mercy that you have for all mankind. We love you and we praise you, dear God. Keep our minds clean and keep our minds focusing, Lord, today as we'd be able to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. We love you and we praise you, dear God. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, we'll be in verses 17 through 19, and I will read them, but after my thoughts from last week. Last week's message, the last will be first and the first last. So as I prayed to God this week about what message to give, about, you know, what, what should my thoughts from last week be? He quickly reminded me of something that he spoke to me about last week. So last week, I was musing on my bed in the morning. And if you don't know what musing means, it means meditating. I was meditating on this section of scripture last week as I was getting ready to teach it. I was on my bed early in the morning and I was just waking up and I was kind of thinking about, you know, Lord, what would you have me to teach this week? I don't, I don't quite know. This Last week's message, in case you didn't know, was kind of a difficult one, as I might have said last week. Or if I didn't, it was a difficult one because uh, I was just struggling with it. It was a difficult one because Jesus only gave the interpretation. He didn't hear. He only gave the, the parable and he didn't interpret it. Okay. And in a parable without an interpretation is, is difficult, okay? Because you got to really make sure you're, you're hitting and, and focusing on what he said in other parts of the Bible instead of just saying whatever you want. I've mentioned this before. Many dangerous doctrines have come out of teachings of parables, okay, without the interpretations. So as I was laying there struggling with setting up last week's message, God gave me this beautiful revelation, and this revelation actually made me cry. So as I was struggling with hearing God on wisdom for the message, and struggling with faith, knowing, you know, God, are you still with me on this one? Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm scared here, Lord. I don't know what to say, Lord. It's, it's, I'm confused here in some of the things that you're saying. You know, you could say I was fighting the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6, 12. God gives me this revelation. This revelation that made me cry. You may be saying, what, what is the revelation, Pastor Ed, that made you cry? We want to know. Well, God spoke to me about the parable and he showed me just how involved he is in his children's lives, speaking to them, leading them, guiding them, and such. Go back to Matthew chapter 20 and look at that parable real quick. The parable of the workers in the vineyard is the way my New King James Version titles it. And right off the bat, we see here for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. And remember, 
the landowner who owned the vineyard was God. Okay? And this landowner who goes out, he goes out to hire workers. Well, that's us. And so what is he doing? God is going out and he's hiring workers for his vineyard. He's working with people. He's working with his children for humanity, to save humanity, to go work, to build up his church, to work for his church. And then he goes out again, uh, you know, the third hour, and then the, the sixth hour, and then the eleventh hour, the ninth hour, and all those things. And all throughout this time period, God is working with his children to build up his church, to reach the lost for Christ in the world. God is intimately working throughout this whole parable with his children building his church, working to reach the lost for Christ in this world. So you see, I saw that. And that touched me so much because it showed me that God is still, not only did it and just do it when Jesus came, but he's still doing it through Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit right now, today, 2014. And if he's still doing it today, then that means that he's still active. He's still intimate with us. He's still speaking to us. He's still working with us. And speaking about how God spoke to me, you know, on last week's revelation, I can't, you know, negate the fact that as I prayed for this week for God to give me wisdom for this introduction, God spoke to me again, reminding me of this revelation that I had forgotten about last week. So you see... He's very involved in our lives, in his children's lives. He's even very involved in the lives of the lost that are out there. Though you and me, maybe you are a Christian and you're listening to this message. Well, he was involved in another child or Christian's life at one point, and then they were reaching out to you, and he was trying to get involved in your life through us, through me, or through somebody else that was, you know, a Christian that was trying to reach out to them for God, to you for God, okay? So he is so involved in the lives of human beings, especially his children. Now, God's shown me this. If we're not hearing him, okay, if we are not hearing God, we're not really listening intently to him. Bible says those who seek shall find. So if you really want to hear God and you say, well, Pastor Ed, I don't really hear him like you do then I would say that you need to quiet your mind more, get away from things in this world more, shut the things of the world off, and go in your room and shut the door like Jesus said. You know, when you pray, pray like this. Go in your room and shut the door and do this. And listen. Say, God, would you speak to me, Lord? I, I Please, would you speak to me like that pastor said? I want to hear you. Would you please speak to me? And then clear your mind and just think about him. And He will speak to you. He will move by His Spirit. He will touch you. He will help you hear Him as long as you're making the effort to try. Now, we don't just only see this here in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 20. We see this fact throughout the entire Bible that God trying to speak to people and speak into the whole world except for a a short 400-year period of silence by God between the books of Malachi and Matthew where the Bible, where God says, I'm going to be quiet for a while. Except for those 400 years, we read of a God who interacted with, with and communicated with humanity often and in many ways. And that's the God of the Bible. Now, sadly, there is a contradicting uh, belief that stands today. Many believe that God just, that a God, they don't believe it's the God of the Bible, or the God, they just believe a God, just came down and he created humanity, and he just left us all. And that's it. He just left us all here to fend for ourselves, and with no hope and no help, and we've just been footing it ever since on our own, and, and that's just it. And, you know, they also believe this is kind of like our hell, and, you know, because the world is so kind of messed up, and so it, it's really sad Because that is not the God that the Bible talks about. That's a lie from Satan. Because that's not true according to the Bible. And that's my ultimate source of authority. See, I can prove the Bible and a loving God who's involved with mankind. But I can't find any proof of a God that created people, then just walked away 
and left us without help and without hope. When anyway, I hope that revelation that God gave me about how interactive He is with His children <clears throat> impacted you the way it impacted me last, last week and again this week when I was praying. The knowledge for me of knowing that when I cry out to God in Christ with my problems, with my worries, with my struggles, and whatever else that I may have to talk to Him about, and He hears me, and He speaks to me, and He helps me get through whatever I'm going through, that gives me so much hope. And He does it over and over and over and over and over again as many times as I go to Him and I talk to Him or I need help. That's what He does for me, and He gives me so much hope. I give. I hope it gives you that. I hope it gives you that same kind of hope. He's there for you, the same. He's there, the same as He is for me. Okay, so praise God. Let's get on to this week's message and learn some more about the character of the God of the Bible, who is what very involved in people's and mankind's lives. The title of this week's message. The Important Message of Christ, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. I'm going to read them now, and then we're going to get into our section, and we're going to teach it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus, it is Jesus here. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Now, wow, I don't know how long we're going to be here today. I don't know how long the message will be today, but that was only three verses. But I hope that this important message of Christ touches you the way it did me this week. What do we see first? We see in verse 17 here that Jesus and the twelve are on the move again. Where are they going? This time they're going up to Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples were always moving around everywhere they went. They didn't stay too long in one place. Jesus only ministered uh, in the ministry for about three and a half years. He, He was alive for 33 years, but he only ministered in the ministry for about three and a half years. Three, three and a half years, okay? So this time they're heading out again. They're heading to Jerusalem. Where were they? Well, Matthew 19, 1 tells us that they were in the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now, so as they're traveling to Jerusalem from the region of Judea by the Jordan, most likely by foot, you know, 12 people, Jesus, 13 guys traveling along, Jesus has an important message for his 12 disciples. Verse 17 tells us that this info, this message was so important that Jesus had to pull them aside right on the road to tell them. So imagine they're walking along. Well, he stops them right on the side of the road, wherever they were. Maybe goes, leads them to the side. Maybe they just stop right on the side of the road. But he stops them, him and the 12, right on the road And he turns to them and he tells them this important message. So important was this message for him to tell them that he doesn't do two things that he normally would do. Number one thing, number A thing, you say, he doesn't just wait until they get to Jerusalem to tell them. Many times when he taught, they would get to a location. They would get to a spot. They would get to, you know, the Sea of Galilee, and then, you know, he'd have his big, you know, dissertation. And he'd just tell them like that. That was one way that he taught his disciples, along with many other disciples as well, too. The other, he doesn't, this message was so important that he doesn't also, or or he doesn't bother to just tell them while they're walking. Okay? This was one of Jesus' most favorite ways to teach his disciples. As they were walking along, then he taught them, you know, as they were walking. So these two ways are the primary ways that he taught those that followed him. Went into a place, sat by a sea, 
opened up and started teaching, or B, as they were walking, I mean, even after God spoke to them on the mountain, where Jesus was transfigured before them, what did he do? He didn't stop on the mountain to talk to them. He didn't stop and talk to them at the bottom of the mountain. While they were walking down the mountain, he was talking to them and he was teaching them. Here, he stops right on the road to teach them and to tell them what he has to say. That shows us right there that this was a top priority, high, super important message in his eyes. And if it was that important to Christ, then it needs to be that important to us also. There is also another way that we'll see that he shows us that this message that he's about to give his disciples is very important, but I'll talk about that in a moment. So just what was Jesus's really important message Verses 18 and 19, I'm going to read them again. Behold, he says to his disciples, while they're stopped, they're probably like, what's going on? We've never done this before. Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles, to mock him, to scourge him, and to crucify him, and the third day he will rise again. Well, that's a pretty important message, but it's also pretty sad as well, too. Now, you may not realize this, but this is the third time that Jesus is telling his disciples of this very, very sad news. Matthew 16, 21 through 23 and Matthew 17, 22 were the two other recorded times that Jesus decided to tell his disciples about this same thing. So did did you catch that other super important way that Christ showed us that this message was important? He's now repeated himself three times. Okay? Someone only repeats something that's important to them. Okay? And someone only continues to repeat themselves when something is super important to them. And Christ and God made us And they made us in our image. So, in a sense, we do this in a sense because, you know, we have a character of God. You know, God made us with a character like his own. Okay? So, Jesus shows us the importance of this message by stopping on the road. Not waiting till they got there. Not just, you know, teaching them on the way. Number one. And number two, by repeating himself three times with the same message. And again, because Christ made this news super important, we are going to again. The message quickly, he tells them, I'm going to, we're going to Jerusalem while we're there. I'm going to be murdered. I'm gonna, and then after that, I'm going to resurrect from the dead, after I'm dead, on the third day. Just how important was Christ's death and resurrection to humankind? Well, if he was not killed, he never could have been resurrected. And Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 and 17. And he says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Futile means it's worthless. It's like dung in a toilet. It's garbage. It's futile if Christ was not risen. And he says, it's futile. You, he goes on to say, are still in your sins. You could add to that, not only would we still be in our sins, but we'd all still be on our way to hell. The Bible says that sin separates us from God. It's like a bridge. It's like, it's, like an empty, it's like an empty valley that's in between. There's us on one side on, and God on the other. And if you've ever seen those pictures in, in bathrooms or Christian churches where it shows the big gulf, and then it shows God on one side and humanity on the other side, and then it shows this big cross laying, a, laying across this big empty gully, and then you know people are walking across onto this cross or walking down into oblivion. Well, that's what it's like. Sin made that big, huge gully between us and God. And Christ came and he laid down his life so that we could cross over that bridge and get to God. 
And if mankind, you see, was still in their sins, then we'd be destined for hell with no choice of escape. And if mankind was just destined for hell, then there would be no or zero hope. Okay? So the first reason why Christ's death and resurrection was super important was because he bridged a gap. He bridged the gap between us and God that our sin had made. The second reason, the second biggest reason, was that if he didn't do this, there would be no hope for us. Without his sacrifice for mankind, people would all be without hope and have a no-choice, one-way ticket to eternal fire forever. You see, Christ came to redeem or purchase mankind back to God from our sin. The Bible says we are born in sin. We are born in iniquity. We are born separated from God. And when Christ came, the system that God used at the time when he came was this old covenant. Okay? It was the blood of bulls and goats and rams that kind of just it kind of just hid our sin from God, but it didn't really take care of us. It didn't wipe it away. It just kind of hid it. But unfortunately, when Christ came, that old covenant was broken. See, it stopped working because of people. People couldn't keep it, so it was broken. So God, through Christ, made a new covenant with humanity to save us from our worst enemy, which is sin, and our no-choice, one-way ticket to eternal fire forever. And God did that by sending Christ to come and live a sinless, perfect life in dying by the hands of the Gentiles, as Jesus just said here, so that, we could be, so that he could be resurrected from the dead, defeating death and paying our penalty for sin, offering mankind eternal salvation instead of eternal damnation and offering people hope. So do you see why this message that Christ had to give his disciples was so important? He had to continue to speak it over and over and over and over again. Hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect. There's going to be hope. He made it an important topic to teach about. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us and he wanted to give us hope. He wanted to offer us salvation. So you can praise God for his loving kindness. Just how much does God love humanity? How much does Jesus Christ love us? Look here at what Jesus went through. What he said he was about to go through. And I'm going to put some articulation on it. We're going to look at it a little deeper than when I just read it over. But we're going to go back to verses 18 and 19 and look at what, just what he said on what he was about to go through. Verse 18, he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, this is what title that he gave himself, will be betrayed. That's the first thing he said. So who betrayed him is the key here. Look at the first thing he had to go through, and think about mentally what, what you would be thinking if this happened to you. Well, we know because the Bible is about to tell us we're about to be there real soon, but we'll just jump ahead. We know that he was betrayed by his own disciple Judas. Okay? Betrayal that comes by those that are close to you is the worst kind of betrayal. Betrayal by an enemy? Hey, I expect to be betrayed by my enemy. Hey, that guy's my enemy. I know it. He, he, he's not even for me. He's against me. But Judas, one of the twelve, he ate with Jesus. He pretended to be his friend. He did the things that Jesus said. He obeyed the things that Jesus told his disciples to go out and do. He was in actions while he was with Jesus, pretending to be Jesus' friend. He was close. He was one of the twelve. And again, I would know, because betrayal by those that are closest to you is the hardest type of betrayal to go through. You expect it from an enemy, but you don't expect it from someone that's your friend or, tr or pretending to be your friend. Who was he betrayed to? 
Look at here, verse 18 again. He'll be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. Hey, here's another, here's another knife in the back, okay? The chief priests and the scribes, okay? These were religious leaders who were supposed to be proclaiming him. These guys were supposed to be the ones that were representing him. They were the, supposed to be the ones that were waiting for him. They knew the scriptures. They knew what the Christ was going to do. They had even seen all the works that he had already done. They knew that he was the Christ. They knew that he was the one, the promised Messiah. But they did not want to give their religious power over to Jesus because they were selfish. And they never really weren't, and they really weren't following God. So these people that he was betrayed into the hands of were another group that was supposed to be his people. These were all Jews, again. Jews were supposed to be a a, a people group. They weren't supposed to be fighting amongst one another. They were a people group. They they were like a clan. And yet, these religious leaders that he was betrayed to, what what did they do? Look at what they did. He, He would be betrayed to the chief priests and to the elders, and they will condemn him to death, he says. He says about these guys here, these religious leaders, they were going to condemn him to death. And how did they do that? How did they go about doing that? They delivered him to the Gentiles. Well, you see, now here's another kicker. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews loathed the Gentiles. The Jews wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles. It was considered unclean in their own, what they believed, to even eat with the Gentiles. So his close, one of his close disciples betrays him. He betrays him to people that were supposed to be his own, supposed to love him, supposed to be waiting for him, supposed to worship him, supposed to be proclaiming him, supposed to be leading people to him. Instead, they betray him to the Gentiles, whom they hated. So these guys that were supposed to worship him as God, betrayed him to people that they hated, the Gentiles, that they would not even eat with. And what did the, and what did the Gentiles do detail for? They delivered him to the Gentiles. Look what Jesus said is going to happen to him. To mock, to scourge, and to crucify. I don't know if any of you who have ever been mocked, but it's not a fun experience. They talk to you terribly. They treat you as if you're a worm. When somebody's mocking you, they're making fun of you. Now, we're not just talking about me or you here or a sinner on earth. We're talking about the king of all creation. The one that gave them life. They mocked him. And then what did they do? They scourged him. They whipped him with whips. They cut his flesh. They made him bleed. They tore open his body and they scourged him. And they tortured him. And then what did they do? They crucified him. After he was dead, near death, or I should say near death, half dead, laying in no strength, they take his arms and they take his feet and they nail nails through his wrists or hands, whichever you want to say was one or the other, and through his feet. And in the mocking, they, they slam a a crown of thorns on his head. Blood dripping down his face. At one point, they, they put a bag over his head and they start smacking him and they start striking him. Just bruising him up. The Bible said that he was so, just, he was so badly beaten that you couldn't even tell whether he was a man or whether he was a woman. So this is all what he did. This is his message. This is what I'm about to go through. But then after that, I'll be raised the third day from death. This was what he was walking 
into. And of course, we know the Bible goes on to tell us that he went through all of this. He went ahead and he walked right into it. And the worst part of it all, the worst part of it all, and I know this for certain, and I want you to think to yourself, you know, if you're living your life and you're going to work and you're walking into work and you think, ah, I'm just going to work today and get, get done when I get home, go see my family and everything's great. And then all kinds of bad things happen to you. You're like, whoa, okay, well, I, I deal with them. I deal with them. I deal with them. I deal with them. But let's say, for instance, you were walking into a day of work where you knew weeks, maybe months, this day, this day is going to be my last day. They're going to fire me, but before they fire me, they're going to like, you know, they're going to verbally abuse me and they're going to lash me and they're, and they're going to say these things to me. And then they're going to bring all these people around me and they're going to say these things to me. But then you knew you didn't do anything wrong. So you knew it's, it's a false, it's all the false things, but yet they're just all against you. If you know you're walking into something and you know it premeditatively, it's worse then if it just hits you right when you're in it and you're not even prepared, you just, you just deal with it as it comes. But as you know you're going to walk into it, you know it's coming in the distance. You know a terrible, terrible, terrible day is going to happen in your future. It's hard not to be thinking about it for all the time that you know about it. Well, Christ knew about this day maybe since he was a child. Maybe, maybe he knew, started to know about it at the three and a half year mark before he, or at, at the at the thirty year mark of his life before he started his ministry. But either way, he knew it here, and this is again the third time. So he knew it, and he knew that it was gonna happen. Now, in the human flesh, what would we do if we knew we were gonna, a bad day was coming? And we knew work was, you know, this day on X date, you know, 2000 and X, whatever. Uh, this is going to happen to me. Well, I would just quit before that day. I'd sit up. You know what? Hey, that day's coming. I'm not going to go to work that day. I'll just, you know what? I'll, I'll quit and I'll go get a new job and where that's not going to happen to me, right? Well, Christ knew this was going to happen to him. And yet, what did he do? He says here, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be. So he knew it was going to happen, and then he walked into it anyway. He had his free will. He could have not done it. He could have just said, Hey, it's too much. I don't really want to go through that. And in fact, so has it. We do. We talked about it last week. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that even the night before it was going to happen, or the night that it was going to happen, that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to God, saying, God, is there another way? Is there another way, Lord? I don't really want to go through this. But nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. See, so he submitted to God's will, even though he didn't want to go through it. He went through it anyway. That's amazing. That's an amazing message that Jesus had to give to his disciples. I can see why he made it as important as he did. Maybe you never knew that Christ's death and resurrection and his death and resurrection were just that important and, until just now. But now you know. And now you know that it was then and it still is just that important. If he hadn't gone through all that, he could never have bought us back from sin to save us from eternal condemnation and separation from God. Now with all that said, what could have motivated him? What could have motivated him to go through all that suffering, all that pain, all that rejection, and all that sorrow? Well, of course, his love for humanity. We know John 3.16 is probably the most popular Bible verse in the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you can say that Jesus Christ loved you, loved you so much that he gave himself 
willfully for your sins, even though he could have not done it. He did it anyway because of his love for you. Because that's what the Bible says, that he went through it all because of his love for us. And I really want you to understand this this major, major, major part here. He did not give his life and sacrifice for good and righteous people. Okay, Many in the world today believe that people are generally good and righteous. You know, I, not that bad. I've done a lot of good things. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I mean, I'm not perfect and all, but you know, I'm, I'm good. Well, remember Matthew 19, 17, Jesus called all people evil, not just bad and not just, well, less than good. He says, no one is good but God. And the opposite of good is, of course, evil, not just bad. Paul describes God's love for evil people in an even more amazing way. He says, Romans 5, 6 through 8, he says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Because that's what we are. We, mankind, humanity as a whole, we are ungodly. We're not just bad. We're not just so-so not good. We're ungodly. Because we're sinners. But he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards you. Notice his love was towards you, not even for you. He wanted to show you his love towards you. When you think of towards, that means forward, unto me. So God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Evil, wicked, ungodly people, unredeemed, haters, and enemies of God. Christ died for us. That's love with a capital L. And that's the love he has for you. And he knows all the sins you have ever committed in your life. All the lies. All the cheating. Anytime you've ever stolen anything. Anytime you've ever even looked at another to lust after them, which is adultery. He knows every single sin that we've ever committed. He's not in the dark. Even the dirtiest ones, the little secret dirty sins, the little ones that you don't think anybody knows about. That, oh, only I know about that one. No, God knows that about you too. And all these sins, the Bible says, separate you from God and make you ungodly and they make you his enemy. Yet, the love of God, hear what Jesus just said. Yet he died for you and gave his life for you so that he could pay your sin penalty before God so you wouldn't have to. Now, If the roles were reversed, would you give your life for your enemy? Would you give your life for the one that had lived his life totally against you, spitting in your face, rejecting you, and hating you? Here's another one. If I were God, if you were God, let's say, would you have gone to the cross for yourself? Knowing all the evils that you've ever done in your life. Knowing all the wickedness that you've ever done ever since you were a child. Knowing the times that you've rejected God. I've had little seven and eight and nine year old boys tell me I don't want to talk about Jesus when I've asked them to talk to me about Jesus. Would you have gone to the cross for someone like you for yourself? Knowing what you know about yourself. Knowing the dirtiest things that you know about yourself. Because I can be honest with myself. And I could say, no, I wouldn't. And I hope you would be able to say the same. Because none of us are good. There is none good. 
none holy, none righteous, but God and God alone. And yet, although I wouldn't go to the cross for myself, Christ went to the cross for me. Christ went to the cross for you. That's again, a love with a capital L. So, (laughs) I hope you can see that God loves you so much and loves me too. Okay? Nobody can question God in love. Nobody outdoes God in the love category. There should be no doubt, after everything we just talked about, the love that Christ has for you, what you just learned about today. But I want to get personal with us. Anyone that would go through what he did for us, go through what he did for us, has to love us very much. There's no other reason why he would have went through what he did if he didn't love you and me. He certainly, like that misbelief today, the one that people, many people believe because they look at all the sin in the world, how they believe, well, that God just came down and just created us and then just walked away. Now, no hope, no help. We're just left to our own devices. He absolutely, certainly had every legal right to do just that. But he didn't. He showed us his love by his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. So praise God that he is a God of love. So we've established that. Christ loves us. Christ died for us. Christ gave his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us. I wouldn't even do it for myself. I probably doubt you would do it for the kind of person that you are also. But we've got all that established. The big question today, the big question we all have to ask ourselves is this today. We know that we could never love ourselves if we were God like God loved us. But the question is, God's offering eternal life and redemption to all mankind now. He proved his love toward you. He proved his love toward me. He proved his love toward all humanity. Now the question is, are you going to choose now with the choice that he's given you to love him in return? If love is only one-sided, there is no relationship. If one person loves another person, but the other person does not love the other person back, then there can never be a relationship between the two. That old saying, it takes two to tango. It takes two to have a relationship. If only one speaks, but the other doesn't listen. If only one reaches out, but the other one turns away. There's never going to be a relationship that day for those people. So, do you love Jesus Christ back? Many in our world say that they do. But do you love Christ according to the way that He wants you to love Him back? John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Or in other words... Do you live your life the way Jesus taught people to live? He said that all the law and the commandments hang on these two things, Matthew 22, 37 and 39. He said, you shall love the Lord with all, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And then the second one is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So do you live your life loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? What is love? Love at the core is sacrifice. Love at the core is spending time with someone. Getting to know someone. So, God wants you to love Him back. He wants to show you how now. He's shown, He's proved His love for you. Now he says, now you know how much I love you. Now you know what I've done for you. Will you choose to love me back? Because just because God so loves the whole world, and he gave his only begotten son, doesn't mean that the whole world is okay. 
Because if it's only one-sided love again, there's no relationship. So God wants to know if you'll love Him back. Do you or are you listening to Him? What's God's number one way of speaking to people? Well, that would be His Bible. And that would be through the words of Christ. Number one, are you listening to Him? Are you spending time with Him? And then, if you are listening to Him, and in our, if you're spending time with Him, are you doing what God says for you to do in His Word? Do you stay away from a sinful life and live by His Word? Is your love for God clear in these things? The programs or shows or movies that you watch on TV? The music you listen to? The words that come out of your mouth? The way you drive your car? Is your love for God clear in those ways? Does your life bring God glory and honor or not? 1 John 2.6 says that he who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he or Jesus walked. If you can say to yourself right now, well, you know what? I, I look at my life and I, I don't live a life that I love God with all my heart. I don't. I mean, I, I, I thought I loved God, but you know, those Bible verses that you read, I obviously, I clearly, I don't. Because God says, if you love me, live for me. If you love me, spend time with me. If you love me, listen to me. Do the things that I say. You know I love you. Respond to that love and come to me. So what do we need to do if we're not there? What do we need to do if we're not doing the things and we're not responding to God's love? Remember, we need to take a step of repentance. And we need to take a step of repentance towards God. Turning away from the things we know that displease God. Turning away from those things and turning towards God. Setting our hearts and our, our, and, our hand, and our our hearts and our minds in His hands, surrendering to His will for our lives, like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what He wants, and putting our total faith, one hundred percent total faith in Christ Jesus. The time is not tomorrow. The time is not next week. The time to do this is now, guys. It's now. If you're not there now, and you're not there, and you just know you're not there, you you may not get tomorrow. You may not get tomorrow to make a turn to God. You may die today. So I ask you, please, turn to God if you're not there. Surrender to Him Don't let his great sacrifice and suffering for you go to waste. He did what he did. Behold, verse 18, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death. And you could add, and I've done nothing wrong. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock him or to mock me and to scourge me and to crucify me. And that's what I'm willing to go through for you, God says. Jesus said, that's what I went through for you. Well, now today, will you come to me? Will you hear my voice and will you turn to me? Because I love you and I gave up everything to have you. I surrendered all to get you. Will you surrender yourself to me and come to me? Or will today just be another day and you'll know about what he did for you and you just won't do anything about it? Please turn right now before it's too late. Come to God. Come to Christ. Fall down on your face. Cry out to Him and repent of your sins and turn to God with all your heart 
and give your life to him. And put your faith in Christ because he's longing to save you. He longs to have fellowship with you. He's so loving. Come to Jesus now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this important message, Lord God. Thank you so much for your grace that's still available today, Lord. Your salvation that you still offer right now today. Lord, you did this act. You did this great thing that you did for humanity almost 2,000 years ago. And yet your word still says today, come to me. Your Holy Spirit still is trying to draw people to Jesus Christ. Lord, you're amazing. Your love, if I were you, Lord, I don't know that I would have waited. I don't know that I could have held out for almost 2,000 years for just hardly anybody to come to you, Lord. The Bible says that there be few saved, Lord. And we look and we see that in our world today, in our country today, and in all the major countries, Lord God. There's so just so few people that love you. So few disciples for Christ. So, Lord, and it's, it's, it's our fault. Lord, we're not responding to you. It's not your fault for not reaching out to us, Lord. You're trying all the time. People just aren't listening. I just pray today, Lord God, that you would get this message into the hands and into the hearts and the minds of people, Lord God, that need you. And I pray, Lord God, that they would see the love that you have for them. And I pray, Lord God, that they would respond to that love and they would turn to you and stop living for themselves, Lord, and and stop just knowing that you love them and accept and receive your love and then turn to you and and love you back. Draw people to yourself, Lord God. Draw people to Jesus Christ, please, Lord God. We love you and we praise you, dear God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.